This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of ulnar styloid impaction syndrome from the hand section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Ulnar styloid impaction syndrome is a common cause of ulnar-sided wrist pain secondary to impaction between the ulnar styloid tip and the triquetrum. Diagnosis is made by PA wrist radiographs, which reveals a positive ulnar variance with subchondral sclerosis of the ulnar styloid and or triquetrum. Treatment is a course of rest, NSAIDs, and splinting. In refractory cases, operative ulnar shortening osteotomy is indicated. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, ulnar styloid impaction syndrome is a common cause of ulnar-sided wrist pain. In terms of demographics, ulnar styloid impaction syndrome is more prevalent in Asians than in whites. That is, they tend to have a more positive ulnar variance. Moving on to etiology, as far as pathophysiology, the pathoanatomy of ulnar styloid impaction syndrome involves impaction between the ulnar styloid tip and triquetrum that is seen in patients with excessively long ulnar styloids or ulna-positive wrists. Associated conditions with ulnar styloid impaction syndrome include radial malunion, congenitally short radius, and premature radiofacial closure. As far as anatomy, the ulnar carpal joint transmits about 20% of the load through the wrist. Keep in mind that increasing ulnar length by 2.5 millimeters relative to the radius increases this load up to 50%. Pronation and hand grasp both increase relative ulnar variance and transmission forces across the wrist. Now let's talk about the classification of ulnar styloid impaction syndrome. So ulnar variance is divided into neutral, positive, and negative types. And let's talk about the differences with respect to length difference, that is the ulnar minus radial length, the load passing through the radius, and the load passing through the ulna. So starting with neutral ulnar variance, the length difference between the ulna and radius is zero or less than one millimeter. The load passing through the radius in neutral ulnar variance is 80%, while the load passing through the ulna is 20%. Moving on to positive ulnar variance, the length difference between the ulna and the radius is plus 2.5 millimeters. The load passing through the radius in positive ulnar variance is 60%, and the load passing through the ulna is 40%. Finally, moving on to negative ulnar variance, the length difference between the ulna and the radius is minus 2.5 millimeters, the load passing through the radius is 95%, and the load passing through the ulna is 5%. Now, let's talk about the presentation of ulnar styloid impaction syndrome. Symptoms include ulnar-sided wrist pain and pain with pronation or grip. On physical exam, inspection may reveal pain and swelling, as well as tenderness along the ulnar styloid and or triangular fibrocartilage complex, or TFCC. As far as motion, ulnar styloid impaction syndrome patients will have limited range of motion due to pain. The ulnar stress test is a provocative test that involves maximum ulnar deviation, axial loading, and rotation from supination to pronation to reproduce symptoms. Moving on to imaging, radiograph should include a posteroanterior or PA view to determine ulnar variance. Keep in mind that excessive length is determined by subtracting the ulnar variance from the ulnar styloid length and dividing this by the width of the ulnar head. Less than 0.22 is normal. Keep in mind that radiographs may exhibit subchondral sclerosis as well as cyst formation on the ulnar side. Another view you can obtain is a pronated grip PA view, which can evaluate for any dynamic ulnar variance. Finally, you can also obtain contralateral comparison views. An MRI can help evaluate the TFCC and the lunotriquetral interosseous ligament, or LTIL. The differential diagnosis for ulnar styloid impaction syndrome includes TFCC injury, ulnocarpal abutment syndrome, D1 
DRUJ injury, piezotriquetral arthritis, ECU tendonitis, and lunotriquetral ligament injury. You can learn more about these diagnoses on orthobullets.com or the Bullets app, or look out for their respective podcast episodes. Moving on to treatment of ulnar styloid impaction syndrome, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes activity modifications, NSAIDs, and steroid injections. These are indicated as the first line of treatment. As far as the technique, rest should be tried for a minimum of 6 to 12 weeks. Operative options include ulnar shortening osteotomy and a partial ulnar styloidectomy or a wafer procedure. Currently, an ulnar shortening osteotomy is the gold standard. A partial ulnar styloidectomy or the wafer procedure can be done open or arthroscopically, and these have encouraging early results, but no superiority has been established. Surgical complications to be aware of include nonunion, tendon rupture, persistent pain slash hardware irritation, and infection. As far as the prognosis of ulnar styloid impaction syndrome, little is known about the natural history. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over one quick question to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. A 45-year-old male with a chronic history of ulnar-sided wrist pain is referred to you by a partner for a second opinion. The patient previously underwent occupational therapy, corticosteroid injection, and isolated arthroscopic TFCC debridement. Imaging obtained today reveals plus 2.5 millimeter length difference between ulnar length and radial length. Despite these treatments, he has continued pain. What is the likely reason for continued pain in this patient? And the choices are one, inadequate TFCC debridement, two, positive ulnar variants, three, undiagnosed scaphoid ligament tear, four, missed scaphoid waist fracture, and five, no improvement is the expected outcome. The correct answer to this question is two positive ulnar variants. So ulnar impaction syndrome is when a patient has a TFCC tear in the setting of ulnar positive variants. The treatment requires ulnar shortening osteotomy for long-term symptom improvement. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer one, inadequate TFCC debridement is incorrect, as although this is possibly a reason for requiring revision surgery, the x-rays described demonstrate clear positive ulnar variants which should have been addressed at the time of the initial surgery. Answer 3, undiagnosed scaphoid ligament tear is incorrect, as there is no SL widening that is appreciated on the imaging, and the patient is complaining only of ulnar-sided wrist pain. Answer 4, missed scaphoid waist fracture is incorrect, as there was no scaphoid waist fracture seen on the x-ray. Finally, answer 5, no improvement if the expected outcome is incorrect, as 90% of patients who undergo arthroscopic TFCC procedures have significant improvement in their symptoms and return to original work. To quickly review, the triangular fiber cartilage complex is a confluence of ligaments and tendons with a central articular disc that aids in load transmission and load absorbing on the ulnar side of the wrist. In ulnar positivity, it commonly will develop a degenerative tear that can be treated with arthroscopic debridement or repair. If the patient has ulnar positivity, especially if greater than 2 millimeters, as in this patient, then an ulnar shortening osteotomy will likely be required. This can be done with a diaphyseal shortening osteotomy, or if less than 2 millimeters of positivity is present, a wafer osteotomy. Ulnar positivity can result from multiple etiologies to include normal anatomic variation, trauma, and amatolung deformity. Amatolung deformity is a congenital dyschondrosis of the distal radius ulnar volar physis that results in a partial deficiency of growth of the distal radius. Bickel provides a surgical technique of arthroscopic TFCC debridement with ulnar wafer resection. 
He describes performing the wafer resection with a high-speed burr until 2-3 to millimeters of ulnar minus variance is achieved. Postoperatively, he maintains wrist immobilization for 6 weeks or shorter if the patient is pain-free. Moldner et al. compared TFCC debridement versus TFCC debridement with ulnar shortening osteotomy. They found similar VAS score improvement and near-equal Mayo-modified risk scores postoperatively and concluded that TFCC debridement alone is a sufficient initial intervention. However, they did find 1.8 millimeters of positive variance as an indication for early ulnar shortening osteotomy when the patient had persistent postoperative pain. Kim and Song compared 27 risks divided into three treatments of patients with ulnar impaction syndrome, ulnar shortening osteotomy alone, TFCC arthroscopic debridement alone, and combined procedures. They found similar DASH scores and Chun and Palmer scores between ulnar shortening osteotomy alone and TFCC debridement with ulnar shortening osteotomy with significantly improved outcomes compared to TFCC debridement alone. They recommend TFCC debridement with ulnar shortening osteotomy for unstable TFCC tears and propose ulnar shortening osteotomy alone may be sufficient for stable TFCC tears. Bernstein et al. retrospectively reviewed 11 patients who underwent TFCC arthroscopic debridement with ulnar shortening osteotomy compared to 16 patients with TFCC arthroscopic debridement with arthroscopic wafer resections. They found that TFCC with arthroscopic wafer resection had similar functional outcome scores as TFCC with ulnar shortening osteotomy. However, the complication rate was lower with arthroscopic wafer resection, and return to work was faster in this group. That's all for this review about ulnar styloid impaction syndrome. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.